ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee Stud. The Tennessee Stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Please welcome the creator of the popular 605 podcast and the president of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, your co-host, the great Ryan Last. Hello again, friends, and welcome to another edition of Ron Fuller's Studcast. I am the great Brian Last, and I'm happy to be with you once again as the Tennessee Stud takes us down the road, telling us all sorts of interesting information about wrestling history. Without any further ado, here's the man, the host of the Studcast, Tennessee Stud himself, Ron Fuller. Ron, we have another fun week. You kind of teased us at the end of last week's show. You said we're going to talk about cauliflower years this week. Yes, sir. And I mean, that's probably a topic that's not talked about too much uh, in wrestling podcasts, but I think fans will find this pretty intriguing. Uh, and I, I think they're going to find out a whole lot about what happens in the business and, and in the sport and, and the difficulties that you have and the injuries that you have. And this is one of them. Uh, it's, a, it's a small thing. Obviously, an ear is not a very big, intricate part of the body. But it is at the same time uh, maybe one of the most painful areas to have a problem in. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And, and we may expand uh, if we have time here. Hopefully we will today uh, to go into a couple of other really interesting things. We're going to also be just talking at the same time about the cauliflower ear. Uh, we're going to combine that with how the Florida Territory is doing and West Palm Beach in particular and then if we get to it, I, I, I have a great, great uh, thoughts about what happened in, this, in Florida that really, it's going to ignite. That territory is about to ignite itself, and there's a decision made by the owners that, that bring this about. So we got a great program here today. Uh, I'm really, really pleased with uh, what we're going to be doing here today, and uh, I'm ready to jump in it. My horse is saddled up, and... He's about to get out from under me here, so... Well, hold on. Hold that horse for one second, because this wouldn't be the stud cast if we didn't say here at the top of the show that we forgot to announce a winner last week for the question sent oh, to yeah. the show. So why don't we do that right here? The winner from last week is John Thompson in Bangor, Maine. He sent his question, Ron, about Andre ever having a problem with a wrestler or anyone around him. Yeah. Yeah, Ben, I remember, I remember the question, and... uh Yes, uh, that uh, I, I meant to say it last week, but uh, you're right. We did not we did not uh, recognize the gentleman that uh, sent the winning question, and so John, we apologize, but the photo will be on its way, and 
Uh, thank you very much for sending in your question. And for all those f great fans out there, we gosh, I, we have such knowledgeable fans here. It's unbelievable. I just love their questions. And thank you very much, John, for your question last week. And uh, uh, let's just, if you're ready, Brian, I want to just jump into, yeah. I want to jump into having a cauliflower ear, man. This is a, this is a crazy little subject here, but, but, uh, in the summer of 1971, beginning in probably June, I started to have one of the most distinctive injuries in the sport of wrestling, and it's pretty unique to wrestling, boxing, maybe martial arts, uh, those three, and, and beyond that, you don't see it. And that's uh, a cauliflower ear. Uh, now, I talked about in earlier episodes about the injuries, especially that young guys get in their first couple of months in the business. Now, I've been in the business for about a year at this point, and I've gotten over the mat burns. The skin has developed a hardness to it now that mats don't, don't bother me anymore. Uh, I've gotten past the knees and the elbow problem. I, I talked to one, one episode about the burst the bursic sac and, uh, and how the elbows get to be just horribly painful. Uh, and how I used to just back against the concrete wall and smash those elbows. And, it, and within two seconds, all that fluid is gone. Uh, uh, so, you know, we've, we've dealt with the knees, the elbows, uh, you finally learn to wear the knee pads and everything else, but there's a part of the body when you wrestle that has no protection and that is your ears. And I know fans probably don't think much about that, but it, it's, it's you've, you, when you see a wrestler, a true wrestler, and in my opinion, shooters, most of the time it's shooters. It's somebody who does a whole lot of wrestling on the mat and has a lot of headlocks and a lot of front face locks and moves in which your ears are in the maneuver. Your ears are being ground by a forearm or you're being smacked in that ear accidentally or it takes a blow. So... So when you start to get a a, a cauliflower ear, uh, it's 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 strange things. It's a strange circumstance. What happens is, and it usually starts from a simple headlock. And a headlock, when you're trained to wrestle, you're trained to to put a left-handed headlock on somebody. So you're gonna lock. You're gonna put their your left arm around their head, and you're going to have their head squeezed up to the left side of your body. Now, that outside part of your arm that's uh, away from your body is normally wrapped around somebody's ear. Now, that doesn't seem like it's very painful, and sometimes it's not. Actually, it isn't. I'm a year in now. I've got no cauliflower ear, but I'm going to start to experience a little bit of pain from my ears. And, and what happens is, is your ear, when someone takes a headlock, from you or on you real quick like uh, they run that head that forearm down the side of your head and reach and grab their own hands to grasp their hand to complete the headlock when they run that forearm down the side of your head it tends to bend your ear in two so the top part of your ear bends down over the lower part of your ear and as long as they hold that headlock it's going to keep that ear in that position 
Now, ears aren't made to do that with naturally. So that's where your your, your cauliflower ear begins. And uh, so my cauliflower begins early in the month of June. And I start to feel a little bit of pain sometimes in my ear. Uh, and usually it's in the top part of the year rather than the lower. The lobe of the year is not so bad. The top part of the year where it's being bent over on top of itself is becoming, what happens is you break the blood vessels in the ear. That's the way it happens. You either do it through what I'm talking about or somebody hits you in the side of the head and they hit that ear in the right position. Anytime your blood vessels break inside your ear, the top portion of the ear, you don't have this problem in the lobe. You have it above your you wear the ear that you listen, the hole that goes into your head that you listen through. It's the area above that. That part of the ear is very susceptible to it. And so I start to get these, this little ache from, my, from a possible cauliflower ear. It, it's not big for a while. It, it three or four or five weeks, uh, it's just a little pain there. Uh, and, and then what happens is you'll start, it'll start to swell. Finally, after a while, it continues to get this, this constant uh, pain, this constant drubbing and the constant folding of the ear or the smashing of the ear or whatever it is. And then it starts to, to, to swell. Now, when it starts to swell, you have an option at that point. Uh, a lot of people back in the day would would have them drained. Uh, and, you know, you have that choice. Uh, your choice. You make that choice. Do I want to have a cauliflower ear or do I not want to have a cauliflower? Now, you can drain them. Uh, and I knew a lot of guys that drained them. And I, and I saw them drain them, and for six months, they'd have no problem, and then it would start again, and they'd get to draining them again. Sometimes they would have to drain their ears, and they a, stick a needle into your ear, and they pull out that blood in there that's, that's uh, coagulating in that lobe up there, the top part of your ear, and it's painful. It's a painful deal. So I've, I right away, I look at what I... I'm from a wrestling family, and I guess I have this concept in my mind all my life. I see my granddad, he's got two cauliflower ears. He doesn't have one. He's got two big old cauliflower ears. My dad's got a cauliflower ear. Uh, Roy's brother, Herb's got two cauliflower ears. Dad's brother, cousin Lester, his uncle Lester, has got a cauliflower ear. It's part of wrestling. It is part of the sport. Uh, I always, when I was a young kid and when I started getting to thinking really seriously about becoming a wrestler, I kind of wanted that. It's kind of like a badge of courage in a way. It's a distinctive mark that says to anybody that looks at you that this guy is, is some type of wrestler and, and, and some type of athlete and he's probably a wrestler. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of odd, but to me, I kind of made the decision right off that I'm going to go through it. The pain and everything that has to do with the, with the cauliflower ear in order to end up with a cauliflower ear. Now, that's kind of crazy. And what's your opinion of that, Brian? I think that's kind of crazy. <laughs> Certainly, <laughs> I've seen some really, really ugly ones. Paul Bosch had famous ones. Bruno San Martino. I'm curious, Ron, who had the worst cauliflower ears that you've seen? Well, I really believe Roy. 
my granddad had a couple of the biggest cauliflower ears I, I had ever seen on anybody. And cauliflower ears are they're so painful. And what happens is bad things can happen to you if you don't drain them. Uh, uh, Herb, my, my granddad, Roy's brother, he had a son named Doyle that wrestled. Doyle had a cauliflower ear that my dad told me about. I was, I, I was, he was, Doyle was around a long time before I was born, but dad told me that Doyle had started wrestling. He created, had a big ear. And what happens is that ear swells so big, it's just horribly painful. And it's, oh, it's just nasty looking thing. And he busted, somebody hit him in the ear and it busted his skin from the bottom of his lobe all the way across the top of his ear. He had to have it sewn back. He had to have it reconstructed, his ear. And uh, dad said he had such a horrible problem with his cauliflower that he quit wrestling. He just couldn't deal with it. it. It just, so, so they can get monstrous. They can get very big. So just to give you an idea of how it goes, uh, you know, it, it really starts with a little pain. Then it starts with the swelling. The swelling becomes worse. You develop this really constant and consistent pain, man. And, uh, it's hard to sleep. It's hard. My, my dad used to say, uh, he told me one time, he says, uh, I had, my ears were so bad. My ear was so bad. I had to sleep with between two. I had to put it between two pillows. He sandwiched his ear between pillows on the front side and the back side to be able to even sleep at night. So it's a big injury. You know, it doesn't seem like much, but it's a big injury. And it depends on how, what you want to do with it, uh, whether you want to have one or whether you don't. Um, Roy's nickname, because he had the two big ears, they called him bag ears. And, uh, and, and they used to say about Roy, they said, uh, I had the guys tell me, uh, I'd say, well, what about his ears? What do you have? It? What, how, what kind of cauliflower ears has he got? And guys would say, you know, he looks kind of like a taxi cab going down the road with both back doors open. I mean, he's like ears just stuck out on both sides of his head. Uh, dad had the cauliflower ear and he, he used it to play games with people. He would be in a restaurant and we'd be with him as kids and, and somebody, a waitress, as an example, would be taking an order and she'd be focusing on the side of his head and he would notice it and he would go, uh, oh, what are you looking at? And she'd go, uh, uh, your ear, you know, what happened to your ear? You know? And, and so he would go, oh, it's a cauliflower ear. It's from wrestling. He said, uh, you want to touch it? He would always do this, and I always liked watching this. And, you know, he, they would go, oh, no, 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 no. And he'd say, no, come on, no, you, no, it's hard. It's hard, you know, it's not soft. You, you ever feel one? No, 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 I never felt the cauliflower ear. Yeah, what, you won't touch it. So he'd finally get them to reach out there, and when they almost touched it, he would turn his mouth and do his teeth like, blah, 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 like he's going to bite them, right? And, oh, they would run backwards. He'd always get a big laugh, and people would be watching it. You know, people at other tables, we kind of watched the deal and they would all laugh too. So I wanted to, I wanted my cough flyer here. You know, I was determined, you know, I'm not going to drain it. I'm going to stick with it, you know. So, so it has started now. Uh, and I want to kind of go ahead and, and, and add my cauliflower ear into a, uh, the story about where the Florida territory is in this time frame and the West Palm Beach in particular. Everybody knows I'm promoting, basically. I'm down there as a local promoter in West Palm. Uh, business is very good. 
Uh, we're off to a great start. Uh, we're drawing good crowds, and they're growing. Crowds are growing, but they're growing at a small, small speed. And that's exactly what you want in a new town in any territory. When you open a town, you don't want to have a big, huge night the first night. The second night, you drop in half. The next night, you drop in half again. And all of a sudden, your momentum that you had that first night totally disappears. Uh, we were able to not, to keep that from happening in West Palm, and we were able to start out with over a $10,000 crowd to begin with, uh, biggest that had ever been drawn in West Palm Beach, and to continually grow it at a slow pace. And that was exactly what I wanted to see happen. That's what Dad wanted to see happen. Eddie wanted to see the same thing happen. So we're, I'm working in West Palm for a five-week program. During this time that my cauliflower ear gets started, I'm working against Ronnie Garvin. We are, uh, Ronnie's doing a lot of wrestling. Everybody's doing a lot of wrestling. I can't overemphasize that. Everybody in the Florida territory in that 70, early 70 phase is wrestling. Predominantly, every match is 20, 30 minutes long, and 20 uh, a 20 minute match of 15 minutes is wrestling. And uh, that's what the name of the, on the marquee is. And that's what they wanted. That's what Eddie wanted. That's what dad wanted. Uh, Lester, anybody who was involved in that territory, Duke Kiyomuka or whoever the partners were, they, they wanted, they loved that focus on wrestling. And it was really working very, very well. Uh, and so, uh, I got this program going with him, with Ronnie, and my ear gets to the point it starts to swell. It's gone beyond the little painful deal. Now it's beginning to swell, and there's more pain involved. Uh, I move out of that into, into that. what happens when that pain starts and that swelling starts. Then you, it's just it's a constant pain. It's, it's, it's consistent. It's all day. It's a pounding. When your heart beats, it pounds in that ear. It just, that's like, people can't imagine that you, you, a little thing like your ear could just drive you crazy. And it starts to really, really have a bearing on you, how you live your life. You just, you're, you're miserable. You're pretty darn miserable. And uh, that's not going to ever stop until you get a real blow. So what happens with the cauliflower? You get the little problem at the beginning. You get the swelling problem for another few weeks. And then you get that big blow that's going to seal off that the, the, the way that the blood would be able to escape from that earlobe. It's going to seal it off. And when that happens, you're going to win in a couple of weeks after that. That blood will dry in there. And you'll never have a problem with your ear again. So it's a... It's a it's a long deal. It's a it's a it's a two month, sometimes a three month. In my case, a three month event of trying to get this cauliflower ear to get to the final end of it. And uh, it's pretty odd how it actually happens. Uh, it mine begins early in June, like I said, of 1971, and it contends it continues until August 16th, 1971. I happen to know the exact date that I finished with my cauliflower ear and I can tell you who I was wrestling that night and it's just uh, so I kind of want to tell this story because uh, it, 
I think it fits in well with what's happening in the territory. At this point, I do the five-week program with Garvin. Then they put me into a five-week program with Murdoch. Uh, and, and West Palm's having this success, but what you need to, what fans need to kind of uh, think about is Orlando. As we have talked about in previous episodes, Orlando is a Monday night town as well. And it has its card out there, and, and we have a card in West Palm. Now, we're experiencing steady, steady growth, but Ronnie Garvin and I are like second tier. We're not main event guys. We're being placed in West Palm on the, as the main event, and Jack Briscoe and the, the real heel stars are working in Orlando, and we're beating them. We're out drawing larger crowds, and I'll attribute that to being West Palm as a new town. It's almost like a town that's never seen wrestling, and they're just crazy for it, and that happens in a lot of new towns you go to. When I was handling Southeastern in my first company and building that company, I used to run a lot of smaller towns, and you could make the mistake of going to a smaller city too often, and you could kill it. You could actually take it from being great within five weeks, and if you wanted to go back five weeks in a row, you're probably not going to draw hardly anybody in the fifth week. So you had to know how often to run these towns and ha- and what they needed to see. So we're we're actually doing better job, better business than what they're doing in Orlando. And uh, obviously, Eddie and Dad are just ex- ex- very very excited about it. They think I'm doing a pretty darn good job there. And uh, so we're going to take this. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Orlando's attendance is pretty darn decent. Uh, West Palm's a little bit better. I go into this five-week program after Garvin with Dick Murdoch. Dick Murdoch is a he wrestles just like Garvin. A lot of wrestling in the match, which means there's going to be a lot of headlocks. There's going to be a lot of pain during that match. Uh, the the ear is not going to go down because. I got to work every night. I could have said like a lot of young guys did, and probably nowadays they probably do it all the time. Uh, I could have said to them, look, guys, I I don't want to get this cauliflower here. I'd like to take off for two or three weeks. Well, man, they're using me very well. They're putting me on top, and they're giving me this opportunity to show that I can draw money, and I'd be foolish to go to them and say, hey, I need to get three weeks off so I don't get a cauliflower ear. They would say, sure, you can take off two months. We really don't care about you anymore. You know, so I I was afraid that might happen to me, so I, I avoided that by just saying, hey, just leave me off for a little bit. I just said, go ahead and book me. I'll book me, book me, book me. Uh, I'd go to wrestle at night, and guys would see my ear, and they'd go, oh, gosh, Ron. Oh, man, you're going to work with that tonight? i say, well, heck yes. I mean, I got to, man. I need money. I'm a young guy. I'm, I'm starting to make a little money, and uh, so I'm not going to take a chance on uh, hurting my position in the company. Uh, I'm going to go full steam ahead, and that's exactly what I do. I just keep pushing ahead. They work the five-week program. Finally, they get to a point to where Dad comes in and he says, uh, you know, I'm going to do a deal with Chris Dundee. He says, I want to put you and Murdoch in a 10-round boxing match. I want Chris Dundee out of Miami, which is just down the road south of West Palm, an hour south. 
Uh, I'd like for Chris Dundee to come up. We want to advertise him as the promoter of this special event between you and Dick Murdoch, 10 rounds of boxing, and he will stay in your corner. And I was like, well, geez, man, that sounds like a pretty good deal. And obviously, it draws the biggest crowd to date. Uh, regular matches underneath, main event is a 10-round boxing match with uh, Murdoch and I. So Dad comes to me in the dressing room that night. I got the big, huge ear. I've had it for quite a while. He's not seen it as often as other guys because he doesn't come to very many towns. He happens to be there. And he he looks at my ear and he goes, uh, whoa, boy, it's looking good, he says. And, uh, and the whole ear at that point is kind of swollen. A little bit of the blood is down in the lower lobe part. And he goes, I need to squeeze it. And I would go, you know, I was like, what do you mean squeeze it? And he goes, you... You need to, I need to take that and squeeze the bottom down there in the lobe and, and force that blood up into the top part. And I mean, it's that my, my ear is so painful. I can't, if a fly lands on it, it hurts me. I can feel everything. It's so sensitive and so painful. And, and I, so I say, all right, you know, if you got to, oh yeah, yeah. You want a good cauliflower. You want a big one, man. You, he's giving me this story like he always does. And he's, he, so he talks me into it and he grabs both fingers on that with his thumb, man, by his fingers behind my ear and his thumbs in the front. And he starts squeezing that thing. Oh my gosh, almighty. I thought I was going to pass out. I go as far as I can. I go, that's it. That's it. Get off. Get back. You know, he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's working. It's working. It's going. I'm going like, wait a minute. I can. I'm not going to let you do it. I won't let you do it. So he says, okay, okay. He goes, you're pretty close, man. He goes, you know, you're just going to, what you really need is a a good shot, man. You get a good shot on that ear and you're going to have you a cauliflower. Well, I'm like, well, geez, man, I'm not as thrilled about that as you are, Dad. You know, I mean, at, at this point, it's pretty darn difficult for me to keep dealing with it. But so we're in a 10-round boxing match. So I go out to the ring. We we box for 10 rounds. Now, I don't know much about boxing. Uh, I've, I've watched a lot of boxing. Murdoch knows less than I do about boxing, I can tell you, after boxing with him. I mean, we're knocking each other pretty silly. Uh, we don't know really how to do it very well. And we're, we're, we're throwing some pretty heavy duty punches. And so we go through eight rounds of the fight. And I remember at the end of the eighth round, uh, we're in opposite corners and I drop my hands and I walk past him. I walk past him on, he's on my left side and I walk past him and he just hauls off. This is after the bell is rung. The, the the round is over, and he hauls off and hits me right on my ear. I mean, it turns out later on I find out Dad told him to do it. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, my dad goes over in his dressing room, and he says, you know, the kid needs to finish his cauliflower ear, you know, and all he needs is one big shot. Uh, you'd be doing him a favor. He said, just pick a spot in there somewhere and just give him that last shot he needs. So, so he, he nails me. <laughs> when he hits me, I'm not expecting it, and he hits me so hard, and it hurts so hard. If I had have been in a in a 
proper frame of mind. And if it hadn't have been that ear so painful, I would have gone down and, you know, it would have been a good spot. You could have got a lot of heat out of that. It left me laying there in the middle of the, and then I can't hardly get up for the ninth round. And, you know, it would have changed the whole match, but it hurt so bad. I just, I, I went stiff like a board and I I walked stiff legged to the corner like, Oh my gosh, my gosh. Oh, I just wanted to grab my ear. Like, Oh no, no, no. It's like, it was very, very painful. So, you know, I kind of owe some of my cauliflower ear to my dad who, who stepped in and put me in a bad place uh, where, where, you know, he shouldn't have done. I don't think he, I think that was a little too much. Where would he have been? Would he have been by the dressing room watching it happen, or would he just wait to hear the report? Oh, I'm sure he watched. Jeez, he couldn't wait. I'm sure knowing him, this is going to be funny. He thought, this will be funny, man. I want to see how he sells this, boy. And I I don't think Murdoch could have done it any better. I mean, he just, there was no doubt in my mind, you know, when he did it, that God, I'm sure somebody told you to do that. And, uh, you know, and when you look at these these guys nowadays, when you think about this, we're talking about a lot of wrestling being behind all of this. Uh, that's why you don't see cauliflower ears anymore. You don't see, I never see young guys, anybody that wasn't wrestling back in the 80s, hardly ever do you see them with a cauliflower ear. Maybe a UFC guy, uh, but you don't see many wrestlers with cauliflower ears anymore. And I got to thinking about that when I was thinking about this program is I think that is the reason. The reason for that is very simple. They don't wrestle. They don't wrestle anymore like they used to back in the 70s in this territory and this time frame that I'm talking about. They are wrestling every night, and you're going to you're going to look like a wrestler when you wrestle like a wrestler. And, uh, you know, I always now, uh, and I think a lot of fans that are knowledgeable about the sport, if they see a cauliflower ear, they're going to say, that guy's a shooter. And in probably all likelihood in this day and time, that's absolutely correct. If he has a cauliflower ear, he's earned it, and he's earned it by going through all that pain, and it's because it, his sport that he does just continues to inflict that damage on that ear until it 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 makes itself hard, and then you can't ever hurt it again. So kind of a strange thing. We've dealt with a little bit of the program here. Uh, we have a great house that night in West Palm Beach. Uh, I end up uh, – that's the end of my cauliflower ear. Within two days, that blood gets hard. It never goes anywhere, and I end up with my cauliflower ear. I guess I should be happy about that. How are your ears today? And I have to imagine, based on what we know, what we've heard on the Super Studcast, I have to imagine that your brother Robert wouldn't be as enthusiastic about getting cauliflower ears. <laughs> a very good point. In fact, if you see Rob, you won't see a cauliflower ear. I don't know if Rob ever, I tell you what, and I really think of this has a lot of bearing on it. I went to Florida when we separated after, after starting in Georgia, I go to Florida and he goes to Tennessee. I'm wrestling and he's fighting. 
It's that much that's that different than what we're doing in the two territories. The Florida territory is based so solidly on wrestling, and the Tennessee territory is based on just the opposite. They're based on a lot of blood and a lot of fighting. And if you do that, you're not going to develop cauliflower ears because you're not doing enough wrestling to get to the point to where your ears are going to start to have a problem. So... That's really a strange thing. I have one story I want to add. This is, I watched this myself, and having gone through it, I, I was just amazed. We're in a dressing room in Jacksonville. This is probably six months after mine has completely finished. It's, it's done. I've got the cauliflower ear, and I have no problems with it anymore. I just have that memory of that horrible pain for months. And, uh, there's a guy in the dressing room with Big John, and he's. I hear him talking to Big John. He's got a little swelling in the top of his ear, and he says to Big John, he goes, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to get a cauliflower ear. And John says, oh, I can help you, man. And uh, so this is big bad john you're speaking big about. bad john now you about six six uh you got the long hair and the beard and the whole deal and he's got the he, he's got the big feet got i don't know he must have wore 18s or whatever and he wore these big old black boots and uh so he says to the kid he goes uh i think i can help you with that son and i'm i'm, I'm like listening but i i'm, I'm like i'm hesitant to stop i want to see where this is headed so uh john says to him he says uh here he goes, he takes his boot off. He sits down in a chair and he takes off his boot. And there's a table there, just a little uh, folding table like you see that they do bumps through and then, you know, smash those tables. And uh, so it's sitting in a dressing room and some guy's got their gear on it. And he just takes their gear and sets it down on the floor. And he says, come here, kid. And the kid comes over. I don't remember who it was. And probably after seeing this, I know why he's not in the business anymore. He wasn't too bright. But he says, uh, John says, uh, now kneel down here by the table. And he goes, uh, now just put your ear over on top of the table. <laughs> and he, <laughs> now I get Why would anyone up. do this? <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. The guy's not very bright, right? And I mean, so, so John's got him down there and the, the kid puts his ear over on the table there, you know, and, and, uh. John takes that big boot and he turns it around and grabs it by the toe, by the front part of it. Now he's got the heel out there. And he says, all right. He goes, here we go. And he rears back and he slams that <laughs> the heel of that boot on that kid's ear. Oh, my God almighty. <laughs> the, kid, the kid jumps up in the air. He takes a bump on his back. He rolls over in his belly. He's got both handles in the ears. He's just screaming, oh, 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 he's just screaming. I'm like, oh, my goodness, man. I know what that felt like. Uh, he, and he runs out of the dressing room. Uh, and I watch him. I go down to see where he's going. He runs out of the building and he's running back of the Jacksonville Coliseum in the parking area there where there's no cars round in a circle. Ah, ah, he's just screaming and screaming. So those cauliflower ears are really, really a problem. And uh, I, I never saw anybody that had the, the, the stupidity to allow somebody to do that to him. And uh, I don't remember who the kid was, and that's maybe because I didn't really get an opportunity to see him after that. Boy, the Florida Territory had more people running from buildings screaming and yelling in pain 
than any other territory I've ever heard about. But we'll return to Florida in just a moment. Let's go now to this thank you to the fans and a little news about what's coming up on the Super Studcast. Stud fans are raving about the new Super Studcast number six, Japan 1983, and the stud stories about how Terry Funk gets and loses a part in the 1984 movie Rhinestone with Sylvester Stallone and Dolly Parton. Ron and Barry Windham's excruciating first match with Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen. The Bullet Trade, dealing with the Japanese people and their culture, partying with Ric Flair, Dory Funk Jr., and Terry Funk in the Rapunji district of Tokyo, and too many more to mention. If you haven't listened to any Super Studcast, this is a great one to begin the ride into the deep dive which the stud invented and is now making podcast history. Thanks to all of our fans for listening to the weekly Studcast, and we hope you'll try one of the six fantastic Super Studcasts now available. By doing so, you're assuring, as other patrons do, that the tremendous journey into wrestling history continues. You can hear Japan 1983 at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Be sure to join Join us in two weeks for the spectacular Studcast number 52 in celebration of the one-year anniversary of the stud telling his captivating stories and the awesome ride. There you hear it. And once again, thank you to all the patrons of the Studcast, everyone going to tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast and purchasing the rest of the show, as well as, of course, the Super Studcast. We'll have more information about that at the end of the program. Ron. We're returning to Florida. You said that we're going to take a little bit of a turn here. We talked about the cauliflower ear. What's next on the Studcast? Well, we're going to talk just a little bit about the special matches that are occurring in this same summer. This is the summer of 1971. Uh, and the territory is, is, is doing, it's starting to really go crazy. Uh, uh, when I come there in 1970 and around November of 1970, there are towns that aren't doing well, and it's it's not what I expected to see there. So there's going to be some changes, but I want to get first to these special matches. I'm having this opportunity at one year into the sport. It's unheard of to be able to work top matches in some of the towns and to be able to work with a different type of talent that I'm able to work with. And I think that helps me so much in my development at a younger age than most guys. Uh, we work a special match. I was looking back at some of my matches during this time period. Well, I'm working in Miami in a six man tag with, with me, uh, Eddie Graham and the great Malenko are my partners. Now that's pretty, you know, these two guys, Eddie Graham and the great Malenko, probably had one of the greatest feuds in the history of wrestling in 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 this, in this state, in Florida. It was absolutely, I didn't get to see a lot of these matches, but I have never talked to anyone that didn't tell me they were some of the greatest matches of all time. Crazy things happened in the matches with Eddie and Malenko. And one of the best I ever heard of is... They're working in Tampa, Florida, and Malenko has false teeth. And nobody knows it. The wrestlers don't even know it, much less the crowd. And Eddie hits him so hard that his teeth fly out of his mouth onto the mat. And the whole crowd sees him, right? And Malenko opens his mouth. You can see his, his, he has no teeth in his mouth. He's like, oh, my gosh. And Eddie goes over and stomps his teeth. <laughs> 
They say it was one of the biggest high spots in the history of the town. This happened in Tampa. And they said the crowd went absolutely crazy. It just, it was fueled to the fire for this big program that Eddie and Malenko had that really went for years. It, it Now we're at a point that that program is so far behind them that Eddie can team with Malenko and they involve me to wrestle against Bobby Duncan, tremendous talent, Dick Murdoch, and Rene Goulet in a six-man tag on top in Miami. Uh, it's a great opportunity for me. I've never worked with Duncan at this point. Uh, I'm going to work with Duncan quite a bit. He's a big old son of a gun, one of them Texas boys that's, uh, that uh, he reminds me of Brody and Hanson in a way. Uh, Murdoch and Goulet, obviously I'm doing a lot with Murdoch and I've already had a lot of bouts with Goulet, uh, in Tampa during the same time frame, I have a tag match, me and Johnny Walker, uh, Mr. Wrestling too, uh, fabulous, fabulous talent. We're going to wrestle Bobby Duncan and Ole Anderson. My first time against Ole Anderson. There's a pretty decent darn tag team, Bobby Duncan and Ole Anderson. I mean, uh. That I can't remember the match in particular. I'm sure that was a fantastic match. Uh, Fort Lauderdale, I wrestle with uh, with Mr. Wrestling as a partner with Mr. Wrestling. This is Tim Woods, Mr. Wrestling One, uh, fabulous athlete, and we wrestle against Gandor Akbar, big big Eastern Middle Eastern type of guy, and Masao Oto. Uh, another great match. Another opportunity to wrestle with a tremendous partner and against some tremendous talent. Uh, you can't help but get better when you have that opportunity. Uh, and then the last one is to me, a, just a phenomenal, you know, a phenomenal match here. It was a three-way one night tag team tournament, three teams involved. It's my dad and I we're wrestling against Jack and Jim Dalton. Tremendous tag mat, tag team. Uh, they're going to be Florida champions. Uh, and the third team is Jackie Fargo and Jerry Jarrett out of Tennessee. And I don't remember how all of that match went down, what happened in the match, but I do know that's an opportunity. One of the first times I ever got to work with Jack and Jim Dalton, great, great guys, and the first time I'd ever been in the ring with Jackie Fargo or Jerry Jarrett. Uh, Jackie Fargo is a entity unto himself. That is that guy is is he was history in the making in Tennessee for many many years. He just no telling how much money he drew for Roy and Nick Goulas in that territory in the late '60s and into the '70s. So that's a little indication of what the heck was going on with. Uh, with the talent there and with the opportunities that I was being given. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got to contribute. I'm sure some of this to the fact that I'm a, I'm a Welch and, and, and my dad is there quite a bit during this time frame. And I think it's because that I'm there and he wants the opportunity to see me wrestle and, uh, and he wants the opportunity to have somebody to cauliflower my ear at the same time. I mean, he's there to do whatever he needs to do to try to make me a better athlete and a better wrestler. And and having this type of guys in here uh, is really, really going to help me in that direction.
Ole Anderson has a reputation for being a bit grumpy, hard to deal with at times. What was he like back here in early 70s? And did you get along with Ole in general? I got along great with Ole always. Uh, Ole was, though, bad attitude. Uh, you could see that uh, in, his, in, in, his, in his demeanor. <laughs> he would come in and uh, he would throw his bag. He would not go sit his bag down. He would throw his bag sometimes. It's like he's in a foul mood when he comes through the door. Uh, but, and I'm going to have opportunity later on to work with him and Gene, his, his brother. Wow, what a combination those two suckers are together. This really, really good. So uh, Ole was really great. I'm going to get to work with Ole in singles, lots of single matches. Uh, my time here in Florida, after one year now, I've been there for a year, I'm about to step up a level and get into some main events in some of the bigger cities, uh, like Tampa here, and I've already said uh, Miami. I'm going to get into some of the bigger towns, and I'm going to have opportunity to be used pretty darn. I'm going to be, I'll be honest with you, I'm being used fantastically for a guy who's only been wrestling for a year. It just doesn't happen. I mean, I, I'm lucky, and, and I'm working my rear end off. I, I have the desire, the burning desire to be great. Uh, people say it takes you five years to become a star, to figure out what you need to do. And I'm dead set on doing it in three. I'm telling guys, I'm going to do it in three. So I got a really good start here. I'm working in there with Slater, a lot of young guys with Slater and, uh, and Mike Graham, uh, with Kevin Sullivan. There's a group of younger guys and I'm higher on the card than any of them. I'm being pushed better and it makes me feel good about where I may be headed in the future. How did you like wrestling against some of the actual collegiate wrestlers, guys who had amateur backgrounds? Of course, they were even more familiar with cauliflower ears. There were so many in Florida, specifically in this period of time, when it comes to Rube or when it comes to Jack Briscoe. How did you like working with the actual wrestlers? Jeez, I'm glad you brought that up, man. I mean, it, that, you know, what I'm going to tell you what happens here in Florida during this time frame, just about summer of 71, uh, there's a meeting at the office between Dad and Eddie, uh, all of the partners. I guess Lester's involved with it. Uh, Duke Yamuka's in there. Everybody that owns stock in the Florida company. And they talk about doing something that is unheard of in wrestling at this point. Or, or as far as I'm aware of, if somebody has has better knowledge of it than I do. I would love to know anybody who was doing it prior to this. This is the summer of 1971. There's a discussion there, and I talked to Dad because I'm running one of the towns, and I'm, 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 I'm fairly close to what's going on, not just in the dressing room and with the boys, but in the office part of the, of the business. And that's why it's, it's helping me to develop the skills I'm going to need down the road for running my own company. And dad says, we've decided that we're going to do something that nobody does. We're going to start offering a guarantee. We want to take the talent in the territory to another level. And I was like, wow, you know, uh, 
traditionally, so that fans don't maybe don't know, you you were always paid by a percentage of the town. That money was split between the wrestlers. And if you had a big crowd, you got a better payoff. You had a bad crowd, you got a smaller payoff. But now this idea is just through the roof. It's it's not not been done before. Uh, they're going to pay five hundred dollar a week guarantee. Now this is in seventy one. That's a pretty good amount of money in 71. Uh, things are a lot less expensive than they are today. I don't know what the equivalent fee is from 500 there and what the value of that is at this point, but I'm sure it's a great deal of money. And they start to produce a lot of, they start an influx of talent that's just going to, it's going to take this territory who has been a great territory uh, for many, many years, it's just going to start to pick it up and move it into another level, into a, a stratosphere where this territory has never been before. And what they do, and I think I'm most impressed with this, and I, and this goes right back to what you just mentioned about these amateurs. They make their focus on national amateur talent. Never been done. I don't think anybody ever looked and tried to find where you've got athletes that have come out of college that have these great backgrounds and tried to teach them and train them. And so, so they start now. I'm not, I don't know which one of these guys, but I've got six guys here. I just want to talk about specifically as a, as a, to point to the fact that their focus was so much on this this amateur talent. Uh, one of them that's in the territory, just mentioned him a second ago, uh, Tim Woods. I'm pretty sure he's on one of those 500 guarantees. I don't know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure that he is. Uh, Tim Woods was two-time NCAA All-American. Uh, great, great wrestler, a great amateur. Uh, he's been wrestling for a little while. They like his talents. I see his talent. I have two or three, uh, which is not uncommon in this time frame. I have two or three matches, uh, baby face matches with me and, and Tim Woods, uh, Mr. Wrestling and, and in that time frame. and gosh, almighty man, they were just phenomenal matches. Uh, just fantastic matches. You don't see that anymore anywhere you can't where you don't see any match I, I can't tell you when the last time i saw two baby faces wrestle in any type of match it's been years and years and years so you know that was what they were doing they were giving these people the wrestling background that that focus on that wrestling this do just was fabulous there ken lusk uh, uh ken mantell uh, same guy uh, beats Danny Hodge in 1975. After his, he has a great amateur career. He's there. They bring him in. Uh, they bring Dale Lewis, won two NCAA national titles in Oklahoma. He represented the USA in the 1956 and the 1960 Olympics. Gosh, you can't say much more about a guy than that. He has the talent. He's fairly young at that time frame. Uh, he's had some experience. But he's one of those guys, I'm pretty sure, is on one of those guarantees. Uh, Jack Briscoe, he's already there. Uh, Jack Briscoe is the first Native American to win the NCAA National Championship. 
that just is phenomenal to me. Uh, being an American Indian and being in the ring with Briscoe so many times and shooting with him in the snake pit, uh, he is a he is an entity into himself, and he, he is the star. During this time period, it is he is the man, Jack Briscoe. Everything kind of revolves around Jack. Uh, you've got uh, Bob Roop represented the USA in the 1968 Olympics. He, we've already talked a lot about him with Snake Pit, Snake Pit things, and uh, everybody knows what he's capable of. And there's a regular guy they're bringing through there a whole lot during this time frame, and that's Danny Hodge. And Danny Hodge, for the people that don't know Danny's credentials, uh, Danny was was probably, I'm going to say, almost undoubtedly one of the greatest amateur wrestlers of all time. Uh, he, he won national championships, the NCAA national championships. He represented the United States in both boxing and wrestling in the same Olympics. Never been done that anybody was good enough to compete in wrestling and a totally different sport, boxing, and represent the USA in the same Olympics as that. Uh, Danny was just, and and what's really phenomenal to me about Danny is Danny was so, so appreciated, uh, so admired, uh, so revered uh, that they named the national the best amateur wrestling in a wrestler in America receives the Danny Ward, the Danny Hodge Award. Pretty darn amazing uh, that the guy is got so reputable that even with a professional wrestling background, they still say he's the greatest wrestler maybe in of all time. Maybe Dan Gable, potentially, possibly Dan Gable. But Danny Hodge is certainly right in there with that. So when you look at this group of six guys in 1971 that are wrestling in this territory just about every single night, in my opinion, it's the best group of amateur wrestlers ever in any one territory at the same time. I don't know how anybody could even argue with that. It's certainly a very good foundation, I would think, for anything you're going to build on. Oh, absolutely. And that's exactly what they did. They built on it. They just kept building upon it. They kept sticking to that wrestling concept. And it just, that focus just drives business in Florida for between 71 and 74. It's astounding business. And in uh, 74, when they turned Dusty Babyface, that pendulum is going to swing. It's going to start swinging back to not so good of wrestling, not so much to focus on wrestling, and more of what was going on in Tennessee, that fighting and that, the blood and that type of thing. Uh, but when you have that wrestling focus, when you run a company and the marquee says wrestling and your focus is on that, you're going to have your best chance of surviving and building your business and it's staying solid for a long, long time into the future. What are the benefits of having a foundation built on actual wrestling of amateur wrestlers and a in-ring product that's more in tune to wrestling versus the blood and gut style that is more familiar to, let's say, Tennessee wrestling, or I should say maybe Western Tennessee wrestling. It's what it is, is 
is it, and I have seen this in so many territories, in so many places. Uh, Australia in '73. I went there in '71, and I watched their matches. They had a crew of Mark Lewin and uh, Curtis Aika from Hawaii, and uh, Gary Hart as a manager. Uh, they were having a lot of bloody matches and a lot of that type of, and and their business was good. The business was good, but. I was thinking to myself uh, that I don't see this going to last. I don't see how they, you, what happens is when you head, when you have wrestling as your foundation, you can do, you can do pretty much anything you want to. It's going to do well, but that wrestling background is what makes that's your foundation. And that foundation is a rock. When you build on blood and guts and, and trying to follow that week after week, it's like building in sand, and you're going to sink. At some point, things are going to turn, and you may not be able to revive your business or your territory. And uh, that's, that's what I always had a fear of. I tried to run my business with a lot of wrestling. I tried to keep that... I learned a lot during this time period in 1971 of how to build business, how to increase your business, and at the same time, make your business stronger. And uh, I think that's important to, that your business be stronger. Uh, you can increase your business by having the blood and the guts, but can you? are you building it so that it's going to continue? Uh, because when you get to trying to follow that, you're going to get yourself away from wrestling, and when you get away from the product, you're going to get away from from what it's all about, and uh, you're not going to have the success you had before. I mean, there is that switch from Jack Briscoe being Mr. Florida to Dusty Rhodes being Mr. Florida, and it's a complete switch in style. Absolutely. And if you look at it, now Dusty, Dusty is great. Uh, I mean, I love Dusty. Uh, and what Dusty does in 74... Now, the territory in 74 is loaded with talent. Uh, this emphasis is still wrestling, but they worked for the first time and angled to turn Dusty babyface, and Dusty is not the wrestler that Jack Briscoe is. And uh, not, to, not, not saying anything bad about Dusty, Dusty has his thing, and wow, does he do it well. That thing explodes. In 74, when they do the angle with Dusty and they turn him, that explodes business. But right then, I'm a, I'm a young guy. I'm about ready to get my first wrestling company, and I see it. I see the beauty of the big houses, but I also see what may be in the future. And that's what I question, you know, about, wow, I see this is great, man. It's just killer. Business is fabulous. But... How will they follow this, and how will this go in the future for them? And that question takes a few years down the road from 74 to be answered. Well, speaking of the future, that's when you'll be hearing from us again, of course, next week, as this is the end of this week's Studcast. You guys know how it works. If you're on Facebook and you want to stay in touch with the Tennessee Stud, just search for Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud. Of course, you can follow the Stud on Instagram and Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me each week on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast. 
be sure to experience a super stud cast if you have not. If you like what we do here, this is two hours, an extended stud cast in incredible detail about various things that Ron has dealt with in his career. Great stuff. You know how to get it. You can go to tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. The next one will be released on Tuesday, July 17th. Please join us in two weeks for the first year celebration right here of the Studcast. We'll have a very special program for all of our listeners to check out. But before we get there, what's on next week's show, Ron? Well, next week, I had such a fantastic, uh, just a, the influx. It was just, a, I was bombarded with comments from the, from the Bahama Bedlam episode we did a couple of weeks ago. And, and I want to go back and, uh, and I, I want to take us back to the Bahamas again, uh, but I want to continue telling the story of the Bahamas, which is pretty a unique story in itself. And uh, I really want to take the fans back there again. I want to give them a little bit more of that Bahama Bedlam because there was, they enjoyed it so much. And, and it is a unique this con- the this topic of wrestling in the Bahamas during this time frame is a, unlike any place else on earth and it may be no place ever on earth was like this so uh it's a great topic uh i think we're going to go back there next week and then i think the week after that it's going to be that special program that you were telling them about it's going to be that no that 50 second episode and i'm really looking forward to that uh, i'm going to I'm going to really piece something fabulous together for the fans that's going to give them opportunity to hear a totally different type of program. Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For the Tennessee Stud Ron Fuller, I'm the great Brian Last. The story continues next week. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.